throughout the Pacific area. The facts of yesterday and today speak for themselves. The people of the United States have already formed their opinions and well understand the implications of the very life and safety of our nation. He then said, but as always will our whole nation remember the character of the onslaught against us. President Roosevelt went on to say, hostilities exist. There is no blinking at the fact that our people, our territory, and our interests are in grave danger. With confidence in our armed forces, with the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph, so help us God. I ask that the Congress declare that since the unprovoked and dastardly attack by Japan on Sunday, December 7th, 1941, a state of war has existed between the United States and the Japanese Empire. It was at this point that the American people began to remember more clearly what freedom was to them. And the hair on the back of their necks began to stand up. The very thought of losing their freedom caused everyone to be intense about maintaining what, what has been developed over the years, the freedom of our nation. It's widely documented that for many years afterwards, patriotic men and women would chant the words, remember the seventh, remember the seventh, remember the seventh, in an attempt to never forget the attacks on Pearl Harbor and the attacks of our nation. Emotions were running high. Citizens clamored to join the military. Eventually, the United States would go on and win World War II and establish itself as a world power. And the attempt and the, and the desire of our nation to never forget that attack would fade. The patriotism that flooded our nation in the 1940s was noticeably toned down in the 1960s. Then there was Vietnam. Death and tragedy were back on the front pages and our nation's desire to remember increased yet again. In 1971, this is important, in 1971, 30 years exactly after the attack on Pearl Harbor, Congress decided to pass a law making Memorial Day a national holiday. It was during this time in 1971, Vietnam was coming to an end. There was another effort to remember those that had fallen. And so Congress made it, Congress decided to make it official. And they created Memorial Day in 1971. The idea was that offices are closed, people's activities will change on the day of Memorial Day in an effort to make it easier to never forget. The idea was that people would take the time every year on Memorial Day to remember. States and cities and other groups ramped up their efforts to help our nation remember the sacrifice of those who fought for freedom. But time passed. While many still remember the soldiers, the intensity of that time 
began to fade, our memory began to fade. Now this is where I come in. This is where United States history and the history of Lee Bailey intersect. I was born in 1971. I was born the year that Memorial Day became a national holiday. So, and each generation, if you look it up, generations, they say, are somewhere between 25 and 35 years. And so one of the things that, that we are going to be talking about this morning is just how we remember things that happened to us and the generations behind us forget. So those that lived through the attack on Pearl Harbor 30 years later had forgotten. And so that's why everybody tried to, uh, tried to uh, you know, get everybody back up and excited again and, and remembering again those that have fallen. And so then the national holiday was created. In 1971, I was born, and I went to school, and I studied history. I learned about the Civil War, and I learned about World War I and World War II, and I learned about Korea and Vietnam and the other conflicts that we, that we have been engaged in. I learned about those, those things, but I did not have a personal connection. So I had knowledge but I didn't have emotion tied to it. In 1994, I began working at a bank. Just, you know, just go into the financial institution and do my job and all that stuff. And um, I really enjoyed uh, my time at the bank before I went into ministry. Um, and so banks are known for a couple of things. Bankers are known for a couple of things. People often refer to bankers as bankers hours. I'm not exactly sure what that meant, but I began to know what that meant, that bankers maybe come in late, leave early, and they also have a lot of holidays they, uh, they acknowledge. And I began to, over the, over the course of my time at the bank, I began to really have a great understanding of the, the different the, the holidays and where they fall on the calendar and how to use those wisely for your time off. So Memorial Day for me, I'm ashamed to say this, Memorial Day for me in 1994 and 1995 and 1996 and 1997, Memorial Day for me was for picnics and barbecues. I had no real connection to Memorial Day. And so to me, it was a long weekend. It was a day that the banks were closed. I remember standing in the lobby of the bank that I worked for. and We had TVs on in the, in the lobby on the morning of September 11th. The morning of September 11th, Twin Towers in New York were bombed by terrorists. Many of us remember that day. Many of us were, can tell you exactly where you were when you first found out. It is the first national tragedy of this weight that I remember experiencing myself. 
Here's an excerpt from the speech President Bush gave on the day of September 11th. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack. In a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts, the victims were in airplanes or in their offices. Secretaries, businessmen and women, military and federal workers, moms and dads, friends and neighbors. Thousands of lives were suddenly ended by evil, despicable acts of terror. The pictures of airplanes flying into buildings, fires burning, huge structures collapsing have filled us with disbelief, terror, sadness, and a quiet, unyielding anger. These acts of mass murder were intended to frighten our nation into chaos and retreat, but they have failed. Our country is strong. A great people have been moved to defend a great nation. Terrorist attacks can shake the foundations of our biggest buildings. Moving on, he said, today our nation saw evil, the very worst of human nature, and we responded with the best of America. With the daring of our res rescue workers, with the caring of, for strangers and neighbors who came to give blood and help in any way they could. And then President Bush finished by saying, Tonight I ask for your prayers for all those who grieve, for the children whose worlds have been shattered, for all whose sense of safety and security has been threatened. And I pray they will be comforted by a power greater than any of us, spoken through the ages in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. This is a day when all Americans from every walk of life unite in our resolve for justice and peace. America has stood down enemies before, and we will resolve. And we will do so this time. None of us will ever forget this day. Yet we go forward to defend freedom and all that is good and just in our world. Thank you, good night, and God bless America. How many of you remember 9-11? This is, this is a time in my life when it is, even, re, even reading President Bush's message, it stirs up things in me again that I, that I remember from those days. The fervor and intensity of our freedom being threatened again raised the hair on our necks again and before you knew it, patriotism was on the front pages again. And for the first time in my own life, I had a connection after watching all that on TV unfold. Two years later, on the anniversary of September 11th, September 11th, 2003, this friend of mine was killed in action in Iraq because of 9-11. That's when I began eating the apple to remember him. It just so happens that 9-11 happened 30 years after the nation began to, uh, 30 years after Vietnam and 30 years after the Pearl Harbor. Generation after generation will go through something and we remember those days. 
But those that go after us forget. You know, I eat this apple every year, and my kids know why I eat the apple. Usually on Memorial Day, I will be asked by one of my children, Dad, when are you going to eat your apple today? They know why. So clearly I've told them the story, right? But you know what they don't do? They don't eat an apple themselves. When I, when I pass away, the remembrance of that and the tradition of that will go away with me. And while my kids know why I'm doing it, they don't do it themselves. They never knew William Bennett. And even though my son Max is 21, so he was, he was one years old. He was, he was born, well, he was born in 99, so he was a little under two years old on 9-11. So none of my kids remember 9-11. So this new generation has come behind us now, 20 years after 9-11, and we are forgetting again. Now, while Memorial Day is very distinctly an American holiday that we don't forget those that have fallen, and I pray that tomorrow you will find time to remember those that have defended our freedom. This is not an American idea. Join with me as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is immediately following. See, what happens is we have all these big events in our life. Lisa shared with us, Lisa shared with us in her testimony video that really one thing that turned her was the death of her, of her grandmother. And then she got invited to do something else. So what happens is these big events happen in our lives, and it stirs us. It stirs us to follow the Lord. It stirs us to, to change things in our lives. And then over time, we drift. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is right after the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea. This is the biggest event in the Old Testament. The biggest, most not- notorious, I mean, no, notorious is not the right word. The biggest, most uh, unforgettable event in the entire Old Testament. But the instructions, the instructions given in Deuteronomy 6 tell us that um, in, in verse 4 it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. For those that cross the Red Sea, that's not hard for them to do. This is unbelievable. I can't believe this just happened. We just crossed the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army drowned behind us. I can't believe this. So immediately following that, this loving the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, uh, with all your might is not hard. But after time passes and you drift. It says, these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You need to teach them diligently to your children. Talk to them when they sit in your house, when you walk along the way, when you lie down, when you get up. You shall bind them with signs on your hands, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And then it says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers. And this is important. You are going into a land with cities that you did not build, houses full of things that you did not fill, wells that you did not dig, vineyards that you did not plant. 
Take less and don't take care unless you forget. Then in verse 20, it says, When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimony and statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded you? It tells him to, t- it, it tells, um, in this passage, it says, Tell your kids what happened vividly. Tell them vividly because they'll forget. And when you pass on, they won't have that feeling of having crossed the Red Sea on dry land. Share that with them. Tell them about it. But as we know, throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites would forget and have to be reminded and forget and have to be reminded. And you know what? It's what happens to us too. Has church become a place to have your spiritual picnics and barbecues? Is following Jesus and reading your Bible something that you do just to appease your guilt? Have you become complacent in your walk? Have you forgotten the price paid for your spiritual freedom? In following Christ, is following Christ something you have watched your parents do but it doesn't have the same meaning for you. As Christians, it's imperative that we individually, personally learn from the mistakes of the children of Israel, our own nation, and put in place a system where we do not get lulled into complacency. The Bible tells us that Satan is roaring, is walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In In our key scripture passage today, we read about the church at Galatia who was spiritually willing to go back to being slaves. Let's read again in the the book of Galatians, chapter 5, that first verse. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Does this describe you? Have you allowed sin... Bitterness, hatred, anger, laziness, pride, selfishness, arrogance, guilt, or other emotions to keep you from experiencing true spiritual freedom. Does your life ooze with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Think about it. Stop and look at those words. If your life isn't currently characterized by these traits, you're not living in freedom that Christ died for you to provide. His perfect life, his bloody crucifixion, His death, burial, and miraculous resurrection were all accomplished for your spiritual freedom. Are you enjoying the freedom that Christ Christ provides? Now, how do we make sure to remember what the Lord has done to secure our freedom? Obviously, the Lord has told us to observe the Lord's Supper. We do that frequently. 
Um, we do that at church five or six times a year, but there's got to be a system in place to where you don't forget what God did for you other than when the, other than when the church serves you the Lord's Supper. The first thing that, um, that we need to remember is that freedom is not really about being physically free. And I understand it's 1107, so I'm going to hurry through this, okay? Um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his, of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and the cosmic powers, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's important to understand this is a spiritual battle, not a physical one. And then, number two, God's plan for personal and spiritual freedom has always been the sacrificial death of Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes into the synagogue, and he stands, and they hand him the scroll to read. And it's opened up to the book of Isaiah. And Jesus reads from the scroll that's, all, that's opened, and he reads this verse that's from the book of Isaiah, written a thousand years thousands of years before Jesus was on the scene. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And Jesus said, Today that scripture is fulfilled. So it's through Jesus that we find our liberty. And then, and then number three, Jesus came to free us all. What did he come to free us from? Very quickly, I want to go through five things he came to free us from, from five things to, he came to free us to do. The bondage of sin. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under a law but under grace. Fear, and especially the fear of spiritual death, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's 2 Timothy chapter 1. Romans chapter 8 verse 1, Jesus came to free us from guilt. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 10 verse 11, he came to free us from shame. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, he came to free us from Satan's dominion. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. And then the five things that Jesus came to free us to do in Hebrews chapter 10, he came to free us so we could approach God. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, he came to free us to enjoy God's blessings. Blessed are the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 1 John 4, 7, Jesus came to free us to love others. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 12 and 14, he came to free us to grant forgiveness to those that have wronged us. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And in Ephesians chapter 2, he granted us freedom to live out our purpose. 
For we are his, this, ben, ben Maddox quoted this uh, this morning in the baptism. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Those of us who are followers of Christ, we unmistakably have been given freedom. Are you one of those that have immense gratitude, humble appreciation, and desire to never forget what Jesus did on the cross to provide us with our freedom? Or are you in a position in your life where you see your life as a drifting ship, a slave once again to sin? Shame, guilt, and unforgiveness has following Jesus become picnics and barbecues to you? As we close the service today, I ask you to meditate on these questions. Is the enemy in a great position to attempt a surprise attack because you are lackluster and lazy in exercising your spiritual freedom?